Okay. We're going to jump into the news that is pretty much a hot topic. Clay Helton fired as USC's head coach. So now the search begins. Will USC stay in-house or will they go outside of the box? But before we get into that, what I'm going to do, I'm going to bring you up to speed as things have happened. First of all, you're going to hear from Keyshawn Johnson as he is one of the ones that actually endorsed or support the firing. Then we're going to look at, listen to another sound bite of what's the timing of this right. So stay tuned. It's the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. We're getting ready to dive into this. So we hope you have a ticket. Stay seated. Enjoy the ride. The A-Train Sports Talk podcast. And this train is getting ready to take off right now. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo! Keyshawn, you called for it with a tweet this weekend. What was your reaction when you heard that USC had fired Clay Helton? Well, I didn't actually call for it, but I understand exactly what you're saying. I think when you look at it, though, it was that time. I mean, I stood on the table for Coach Heldon. I like Coach Heldon as a coach and as a person. I was one of the first people that endorsed him to be hired, but it was time. It was time to go. When you look at the USC Trojan football program, we are historical. All we know is how to win championships. If you go back in time, we helped the SEC conference integrate African-Americans into their conference. It was about USC. We don't even have that type of aura anymore with the university, we become a laughing stock, but that's not what we are here for. Uh, we want to win. We want to be talked about like Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. We want to be mentioned amongst those great teams and programs right now. We can't be. Um, and when you look at what happened Saturday night, Stanford game, I mean, we got run out of our own building. We struggled against San Jose State. I know he went 6-1 and one a year ago during the pandemic and 1-1 one and one at the start of this season. But when you look at the top teams that he's faced outside of Penn State in the in the Rose Bowl, we really doesn't have any signature wins. We got run out of the stadium against Lane Kiffin in Alabama. We got run out of the stadium in Urban Meyer in Ohio State. So when you start talking about losing championship game against Oregon, those sort of things affect the way recruits think. When we have DJU from Southern California going to Clemson, Bryce Young in our own backyard, a kid from modern day high school. Do you know how many athletes from modern day high school have attended the University of Southern California? When you have him deciding to go to Alabama or you look at CJ Stroud at Ohio State, all of these guys are in our backyards and they're making decisions to go elsewhere. We had JT Daniels in our program. He left because he was essentially beat out by Kadan Slovis, so he goes to Georgia. When we lose that type of competition, we, we got to figure out who to get next, right? 
We need a big-time coach, like a big-time coach. We don't need to be messing around with a small-time coach, giving him an opportunity to become successful. You can't win that way. When Alabama wanted to win, guess what they did? They went out and got Nick Saban. They said, no, 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 we want to get Nick Saban, period. And then when Clemson decided to move on and hire Dalbo Sweeney within, they made a decision. They made that decision. He won, but they won't let anybody go poach him because every time somebody says, hey, what about Dalbo Sweeney? They give more money. So it's, a, it's one of those situations we got to find the right guy. Into the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. And the hot button topic of the week is USC firing Clay Helton. Some are saying it is two years overdue. If you listen to the national pundits, some are saying Clay was given chance after chance after chance. But at the end of the day, it was the product on the field that was not sitting well with those that matter the most. The boosters, alumni, the ones that's typing money into the program. And when enough is enough, well, then enough is enough. So we are hearing all types of names out there. As you just heard there, Keyshawn supports firing the play help. Visibly upset because of what has gotten away. You look at C.J. Stroud. Starting at Ohio State. D.J.U. Starting at Clemson. Bryce Young, who had, had committed to USC and flipped it. Alabama. But he talks about Bryce Young. Went to Martyr Day High School, which used to be a pipeline for star players going to USC. So the question is, who would be the top candidates for the USC job? You hear names like James Franklin, Penn State, uh, Matt Campbell, Iowa State, Luke Fickle, who the athletic director currently has ties with because he was the one that brought him on board when they were at Cincinnati. My question is, would some of these coaches want to leave the schools that they're at? Well, you heard what Keyshawn had to say. So now the next question remains is, who would be the top candidates for this job? Well, I have something for you to listen to on that as well, too. So what we're going to do, we're going to pull that up. And after that, I will dive into this. But for right now, here's what some are saying possibly be the top candidates for 
the USC job. Adam, why did USC make this move now after just two games? Well, Ryan, I think it was two reasons. That loss to Stanford that you referenced featured a lot of the same issues that had propped up the last three or four years under Clay Helton. Poor red zone execution, penalties, mistakes at bad times, just a messy style of play. So that's one reason. Also, you look at the schedule upcoming. USC has Washington State on the road. Oregon at home, Colorado on the road. Those are three games that the Trojans should win. So, in essence, if Mike Bone felt, which he did, that they, this thing wasn't going to get turned around, he almost didn't give Clay Helton that chance to get up some wins before the schedule turned tougher. And you're the first school into the market to try to get a new head coach. Yeah, this is a storied program, Adam. USC faithful want to see it return to prominence. Who are some of the candidates we could see USC go after as they look to replace Helton? Well, several names you hear a lot about. Penn State head coach James Franklin, who's obviously in a tier one job already, but might want to change. And, and being in L.A., being able to recruit on the West Coast, he's already won a Big Ten championship. Mike Bone wants to compete for conference championships and national championships. So he's a name you'll hear. At, same with Luke Fickle, the head coach at Cincinnati, who Mike Bone, the athletic director, hired when he was at Cincinnati. You'll hear Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Former Washington head coach Chris Peterson. Maybe he wants to get back in the game. Minnesota head coach uh, P.J. Fleck. What if USC makes a run at Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal, who's won each of the last two Pac-12 championships and has recruited extremely well on the West Coast? So no shortage of options, Urban Meyer even, that USC can go after because it's USC and it still has tremendous recognition in the coaching community. A lot of big names in the running for a big-name school. So now that you've heard that, Let's just go ahead and get on into this story about USC head coach candidates. And we're going to look at five outside-the-box replacements for Clay Helton. Trust me, when I saw this list, I kind of laughed at it. But hey, it is what it is. So as they seek a permanent replacement for Clay Hilton, here are five outside-the-box candidates to be the next USC football coach. It has been inevitable for years, not months, not weeks, but years, but a bad loss to Stanford last Saturday led to USC firing football coach Clay Hilton. The speculation over who will replace him with Dante Williams stepping in as interim head coach for the rest of the season is now officially on. Now, if I'm correct, isn't Byron Leftwich also on that coaching staff? You would think possibly, but his years in the NFL, his years probably on the coaching staff at the NFL level and on the coaching staff at the college level, one would think his name would be mentioned. Also heard the name Eric Bieniemy mentioned, but those aren't on this list that I'm looking at. So let me just continue on. Okay. Schools like to go with familiar faces in coaching hires. See Bo Schembechler's comment about a Michigan man should coach Michigan. Oh, do we remember that old so well? USC is no different. Continually mining Pete Carroll's past coaching staff. For their football coach, like Lane Kiffin, 
Steve Sarkeesian, Clay Helton. Currently, there are plenty of easy names to tie to USC's job opening, and it seems like Helton's replacement will be one of these 10 coaches. But what if they went outside the box to someone with no ties to USC, no ties to the athletic director, or no particular special cachet attached to their name? Even one of those things, let alone more than one or all three, would qualify someone that's outside the box in this coaching search. On that note, here are five outside-the-box candidates to be the next USC football coach. USC Coaching Board. Five outside-the-box candidates to replace Clay Hill. Number five, USC head coach candidate, Joe Brady, Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator. After serving as the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach for national champion LSU in 2019, Brady came back to the NFL to be the Panthers' offensive coordinator. The soon-to-be 32-year-old Brady spent two seasons as an offensive assistant with the New Orleans Saints before going to LSU, learning at the feet of Sean Payton, and presumably with Drew Brees on occasion. Brady's next step feels likely to be an NFL head coaching job, especially if he can get Sam Darnold on the right track in his second season as Panthers coordinator. But USC could certainly use a modern offensive mind as their next head coach, and Brady qualifies as that. Number four, USC head coach candidate, Troy Calhoun, Air Force head coach. Calhoun is so far outside the box for USC that he's in another solar system. Now into his 15th season there, he might be perfectly comfortable staying at Air Force, and they're probably content to keep him. He has navigated ups and downs during his tenure, doing 10 in 2013, back-to-back 5 and 7s in 2017 and 2018, and the Falcons rebounded to an easily overlooked 11-2 and mark in 2019. A 103-72 record is pretty good, and Calhoun is possibly headed toward a ninth season with eight or more wins, 2-0 and thus far. Air Force, of course, operates an option offense, and they naturally are routinely among the best rushing teams in the country. But to pigeonhole Calhoun that way is short-sighted. He spent four seasons as an NFL assistant, three, 2003-2005, Denver Broncos, and one, 2006 offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for the Houston Texans before landing the head coaching job at Air Force. He was also offensive coordinator at Ohio, 1997 to 2000, and Wake Forest, 2001-2002. Calhoun would not be bringing the option with him to USC or any other job he might consider leaving Air Force for, if there are any such jobs. If one coach after another at the top of the Trojans list turns him down, Calhoun couldn't be ruled out. Number three. Jeff Fisher, former NFL head coach, USC alum. Fisher has routinely surfaced on the periphery as a name to replace Helton at USC. That's been based almost solely on having played for the Trojans, but also as a nod to a long-term resume as an NFL head coach. A return to coaching and what would be his first foray into college coaching at Vanderbilt was banded about at one point a couple of years ago. Fisher refuted reports around that time that he was set to become head coach 
of the XFL's Houston franchise. Colonel Fisher's former Titans player, Eddie George, took over as first-year head coach at Tennessee State this season. Fisher came up, came aboard as an advisor, probably as much at George's request as his own desire to get back in the game to some degree. If nothing else, the news he took the role at Tennessee State put Fisher briefly back on the map. Fisher has never coached in college, even as an assistant, but he shouldn't have much trouble assembling a solid coaching staff if there was an opportunity out there. And for USC, he fits the label of one of us. The question marks are clear. Fisher became a punchline toward the end of his time as coach of the Rams. He's now 63 years old, 64 by the time the 2022 season starts, of course. And he hasn't coached anywhere since 2016. But is he outside the box enough that it just might work? Number two, Joe Moorhead, Oregon offensive coordinator. Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal is rumored to be on USC's radar to replace health. But if he turns any overtures down, and it wouldn't be surprised if he did, could someone on his coaching staff be pried away instead? Moorhead parlayed a nice two-year run as Penn State's offensive coordinator into the head coaching job at Mississippi State. He was an odd fit for an SEC job off the bat. So it wasn't too surprising he only lasted two seasons, 14-12 record. Now into his second season as the Ducks' offensive coordinator, fresh off a nice showing in a win over Ohio State, Moorhead is building back toward getting a head coaching job again. In his first head coaching stop, he went 38-13 and 13 over four seasons and is on the matter for him. It's probably just a matter of where Moorhead lands a head coaching job for 2022. USC needs someone who can coach offense on the cutting edge, and Moorhead showed he can do that based on his time at Fordham and Penn State. His failure at a program like Mississippi State makes it an uneasy fit on the surface. But Moorhead was not, good, was not a good fit there. Some might see second coming of Helton and Moorhead, which further makes him an outside-the-box candidate for USC. Number one, Matt Rule, Carolina Panthers head coach. As he leads a rebuild for the Carolina Panthers in his second season as head coach, Rule has the comfort of a long contract to take away pressure. On Monday evening's SportsCenter, Reese Davis said the first call he would make if he was in charge of USC would be to rule. Rule had one season as an NFL assistant on his resume before taking the head coach, the head job in Carolina. In between those points, he turned around two college programs in short order. Temple went 2-10 and ten in his first season to 10 wins in his third and fourth season, 2015-2016. Then he took on the challenge of resuscitating Baylor, and the Bears went from 1-11 in his first season 11 wins and a Sugar Bowl appearance in his third season, 2019. USC is not in the dire state Temple or certainly Baylor was when Rule came in. The Panthers might not be really good for another year or two if Slam Darnold isn't markedly better than he was with the Jets. Rule won't be easily convinced to leave, though. Would he go back to college, take on a lot of pressure, and probably, probably less money? To try to revive USC? Never say never. 
But even if he should be somewhere on the radar to replace Helton, Rule probably isn't. There you have some outside the box looks at who could be replacements for Clay Helton. As you listen to this podcast, I would like to get some feedback and get your thoughts on what you think. Anyway, what I'm going to do right here, I'm going to take a pause. And when I come back, we will have some more. So it's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Stay tuned. Be right back. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Adam. And we're cheering from the cheap seats, and you're listening to the A-Train Sports Podcast. Whoop, whoop! Welcome back to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Just one thing that's unique about coaches getting fired you start to pick up traction of a whole lot of rumors. And rumors are always running rampant, even in the NFL. There's no way around it. So is there a possibility that a certain coach could be one and done after this year? Will that coach even make it through the year. Well, on the list of favorites to be first NFL head coach fired, guess who's at the top of that list? You guessed it, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer now among favorites to be first NFL head coach fired. So let's just get into this story right now. 
Urban Meyer and his Jacksonville Jaguars are coming off a disastrous 37-21 loss to the hapless Houston Texans in his first NFL head coaching debut. After the game, reports surfaced that Jaguars players were taken aback by his attitude toward them. He has everyone looking over their shoulders already. He becomes unhinged way too easily, and he doesn't know how to handle losing even in the preseason. He loses it and wants to take over the drills himself. It's not good. Jason Lockenfor of CBS Sports noted recently, Meanwhile, once the UFC Trojans job opened up, Myers was linked to that vacancy. While the national championship head coach says he's in it for the long haul in the law, betting odds have come out suggesting that he is among the favorites to be the first head coach fired this season. This is not a drill. Meyer opened Wednesday as the plus 350 favorite at sportsbetting.ag to be the first coach fired, but those odds soon lengthened to plus 450. The former Florida and Ohio State coach's name was mentioned as a potential successor shortly after USC fired Clay Helton on Monday. The co-favorites in the market are now Chicago's Matt Nagy, Minnesota's Mike Zimmer, plus 400. Nagy's odds held steady while Zimmer's odds shortened from plus 450. So Urban Meyer among early favorites to be the first NFL head coach fire. But here's how it looks. Matt Nagy, Chicago Bears, plus 400. Mike Zimmer, Minnesota Vikings, plus 400. Urban Meyer, Jacksonville Jaguars, plus 450. Joe Judge, New York Giants, plus 900. Vic Fianjo, or Vic Fangio, Denver Broncos, plus 1,200. Zach Taylor, Cincinnati Bengals, plus 1,200. Cliff Kingsbury, Arizona Cardinals, plus 1,400. Mike McCarthy, Dallas Cowboys, plus 1,400. Frank Wright, Indianapolis Colts, plus 2,000. Dan Campbell, Detroit Lions, plus 2,500. Among the 10 head coaches with the best odds of being first fired on two or in their first season. That includes Detroit Lions head coach Dan Campbell following a 41-33 home loss to the San Francisco 49ers to open the season. Meanwhile, the longest tenured coach on this list is Minnesota Vikings head man Mike Zimmer. Now in his eighth season in that role with Minnesota, Zimmer has posted a 64-48-1 record. However, he's only led the team to three playoff appearances and is coming off an ugly week one loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. As for the 57-year-old Urban Meyer, he was absolutely blasted for Jacksonville's disastrous loss to a really bad Texas team in week one. And here's what I am going to do right now. I am going to play a little audio right here for you. 
let me get this queued up. And here we go. So, so there is a little bit of, of a sound bite, and Urban Meyer has already flat out said there's no chance. No chance. And if you caught the tail end of that, it actually makes a little bit of sense of why maybe he really isn't a candidate for the USC job as everybody thinks. But despite his success at the college level, Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, and Ohio State, three combined titles, Meyer was always going to be a questionable hire in Duval. He had no professional coaching experience and has been seen as an enigmatic figure around the college football world. Issues in Jacksonville popped up almost immediately the Jaguars' shockingly decision to sign his former player at Florida, Tim Tebow, to, tra to transition from quarterback to tight end. That was an unmitigated disaster for Jaguars general manager Trent Baalke and company. Moving off Meyer in his first season wouldn't paint the organization in the best of lights. Even then, it might be the best course as the team tries to move forward with rookie number one pick. Trevor Lawrence. The quarterback is more important than any one figure within the Jaguars organization outside of owner Shaheed Khan. Simply put, the team can't risk Urban Meyer ruining him. But there you have the likelihood that maybe Meyer could be gone after one year.
I'd like to get your feedback. Tell me what you think. Tell you what I'm gonna do now. I am going to take another break, and when I come back, I will have some more news for you. So stay tuned because the train is still picking up some steam. It's the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor and host, Anthony Smith. Be right back. Welcome back to another segment. It's your host and your conductor, A Train, Anthony Smith. I'm going to shift gears here. We were talking about college coaches getting fired, possible NFL coaches who could get fired. So what we're going to do now, we're going to shift and get you in some baseball mood. Also, while I'm thinking about it, I will be having the Coach's Corner this Saturday on the A-Train Sports Club podcast. Also, Friday night, possibly. I know Saturday morning, between Friday night and Saturday morning, I will be giving you the high school football scoring recap, which I have taken on myself to do that. Did that last year, and I'm going to do it again this year, but I'm also have the coach's corner. However, it's going to be a coach's corner with a twist to a young lady who is a volleyball coach. Ran into her this evening, as a matter of fact, and uh, we made each other's acquaintance, and this Saturday, I will have Coach Mariah Watkins on. So, looking forward to having that show, and having this show published for everybody to listen to and if you never heard of her after Saturday you will know her but we're going to go ahead and get into some Major League Baseball as the playoff race is heating up and what I want to do is I want to get six wild card hopefuls that could win the World Series and five that definitely will not six wild card teams have won the World Series including pre the 2019 Nationals. 13 wild cards have gotten to the final round of the October playoffs. In 2014, the World Series was a matchup between two wild card teams, the Royals and the Giants. Same thing happened in 2002 when the wild card Giants beat the wild card Angels. Entering playoff Tuesday, there were 11 teams within three and a half games wild card spot. 
going to look at each team and try to figure out whether they have a chance at running the table. Hmm, that reminds me. I need to get in touch with Rick Thomas. I know he's a baseball guy. Or maybe Adam Cook. He's a baseball guy. The World Series odds are taken from baseball reference. So here we go. Nope, not going to happen. Mariners. World Series odd, 0.3%. Thoughts. Look, it's really a credit to this team that they're still in the postseason chase. Truly an outstanding team effort, but winning in October seems unlikely. The team's on-base percentage is 0.301, which ranks 29th of the 30 MLB teams. The team OPS plus is 92. That statistic is set up so 100 represents the league average, which means that the players contributing to the Seattle offense as a whole are 8% worse than the average MLB hitter. That's just not a formula for October success. Phillies World Series odds 0.3%. Thoughts? Nope. Just nope. This is a team that since the middle of August, when every game was super important, swept on the road by Arizona, lost 3 of 4 at home to the Rockies, and lost two of three to the Marlins. There is zero reason with the fielding woes and bullpen issues to believe these Phillies have consistency needed to roll through October. A plausible three-act October scenario should they claim that second wildcard spot. One, Zach Wheeler dominates the wildcard game. Two, the Phillies beat NL's number one seed in the best of five NLDS led by offensive hero Bryce Harper. Three, they get swept by whatever National League team emerges from the other side of the bracket. Their World Series hopes dashed in a cavalcade of errors, two blands, and blown leads late in games. Philly fans would be crushed, but they would not be surprised. Mets World Series odd, 0.1%. Let's start here. No Jacob DeGrom, no shot at the World Series. But let's say a miracle happens, and not only does DeGrom get back on the mound, so does Noah Syndergaard for the first time since the 2019 season. If both of those guys are back, and if they're both pitching near the peak of their abilities, then, yeah, add them to the rotation with Marcus Stroman and Tawan Walker. And if Francisco Lindor's three-homer game against the Yankees lights a fire under an offense that's been dormant far too often this season. And the Mets would have a shot. But folks, that scenario ain't happening. The Oakland Athletics World Series odd 0.3%. The A's, who are 7-13 since August 20, would require a pretty massive bout face to make a run through October. The pitching staff is just a mess right now. Starters of a 5.40 ERA in 11 September games covering 55 innings, and relievers have a 7.88 ERA this month covering 40 relief innings. Getting Chris Bassett back in whatever role he'd be used for would be a big help. Padres, 0.1%. Hard to see the Padres pulling out of their current tail spin. 8 and 20 since reaching his season best 17 games over 500 on August 10th, and even making the postseason. 
much less making a run through October. The pitching just hasn't been good, and the offense outside of Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, and now injured Jake Cronworth has been pretty darn mediocre. How about the Red Sox? 1.9%. If they somehow get past this COVID debacle and everyone's healthy heading into October, that's still a really good lineup. And the rotation is better now with Chris Sale and Tanner Hawk replacing Garrett Richards and Martin Perez. But their ceiling seems lower than World Series champs. Oh, hey, crazier things have happened. How about the Reds? 1.1%. Let's put it this way. I would be surprised to see the Reds make a deep October run, but I would not be stunned. Luis Castillo has pitched like the ace he is since a rough two months. He has a 2.91 ERA in his past 19 starts. And Wade Miley, Sonny Gray, and Tyler Mayo, Tyler Mayo round out a solid rotation. Lineup has six hitters with at least 19 home runs or will when Jesse Winker returns. The primary pieces are there. The question for the Reds is how the secondary pieces will perform. How about Cardinals? Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to keep right on rolling. The Cardinals, 0.2%. Far from likely. Not in the same neighborhood as probable. But Cardinal fans will be quick to point out logic. In October, have rarely been partners the past few decades. Three St. Louis teams have reached the 100 win mark. But none of those three won the title. And the two St. Louis teams that won the World Series in the 2000s didn't exactly have impressive win totals heading into October. The 2006 team had just 83 wins in a weak National League Central. And the 2011 team took the wild card with 90 wins and only had that opportunity because Atlanta completely collapsed down the stretch. The Braves had a nine-and-a-half game lead on St. Louis in the wild card race after a win on September the 1st. But heck, the collapse of the Padres and Reds to an extent feels familiar, doesn't it? This particular Cardinals club would, no doubt, need a heaping helping of devil magic to run through October 21. But let's say ageless wonder Adam Wainwright, he's 40 years old, with the second most innings pitch in MLB this year, and a sub 3.0 ERA somehow gets this club through the wild card. And let's say starters Jack Flattery and Dakota Hudson return from their rehab sessions. And even though they'd be working on pitch counts, provide much-needed quality innings for the staff. The heart of the lineup with Paul Goldschmidt, 131 OPS plus 4.9 BWAR, Nolan Arenado, 123 OPS, 3.8 BWAR, and Tyler O'Neill, 1.39 OPS plus 4.8 BWAR, is pretty solid. Tommy Edmund, Dylan Carlson, and Harrison Bader have had extended runs of good offense. The 
defense is really good. 73 defensive runs, saves, leads the majors ahead of the second place Astros at 67. And that matters in October. Yankees' odds, 0.9%. If they play like they did in August, they could win it all. But if they play like they did in April or June or September, no chance. And if you're ranking teams by their chances of winning the World Series, you probably wouldn't put a team with a sub with a three sub 500 months near the top of the list. But Jared Cole is a good option for a win or go home wildcard game. And damn, they look incredible for most of August, so you can't count them out completely. So now what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a break right here. When I come back, I'm going to look at teams that actually have a legitimate shot at the title. So stay tuned. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.cakeybums.com That's www.c-a-k-e-y-b-u-m-s.com www.cakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. should be my final segment it may be short or I may extend it anyway I gave you a list of teams that probably most likely won't win the World Series based on their percentage so now what I'm going to do is look at teams that basically well they actually have a legitimate shot at a title. Right now, I only see two teams that's really highlighting this list. That's why I say this last segment may be short, or I could extend it. I can always find something to talk about. That's what I do. 
but we're going to start with the Toronto Blue Jays. Their odds, 5.8%. I've been saying for quite a while now that the Jays would be a dangerous team if they can somehow get into the postseason. Well, now they're in a position to make that happen. They're absolutely dangerous. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Marcus Seaman are going to finish top five in the MVP race. And five other Blue Jays have at least 17 homers, too. Robbie May might win the American League Cy Young Award. Good guy to have in a wild card game, huh? And the rest of the rotation is only a tick behind him. If they get in and get past the coin flip game, I think they might be the American League favorites. Dodgers World Series odds, 17.0%. Yes, of course they can. Despite being in the wild card spot right now, the Dodgers actually have the best World Series odds in baseball, which is really saying something. This is an outstanding team with the rotation headed by Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, and Clayton Kershaw. The lineup has Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Max Muncy, Corey Seager, and Chris Taylor. The Dodgers are the first wild card team, but they're 16 and a half games up on the second wild card team. They absolutely can win it all. So, there you have a look at some Major League Baseball and teams jockeying for position and the chances of wild card teams going to the World Series and winning it all. So, I want to do something here. And this is how I'm going to close out because this is something that I do as well sometimes so hopefully this will help me and hopefully it will help those who are out there listening as well listen to a radio show and they got their fantasy leagues and they're pitting the morning show against the evening show well me I happen to do FanDuel sometimes DraftKings so FanDuel picks for week 2 NFL NFL Daily Fantasy Sports Lineup Advice for Daily Fantasy Football Tournaments. So here we go. Regardless of whether you categorize the opening Sunday as a success or a daily fantasy football failure, the fun is just getting started. This week, we're calling on a trio of young, affordable, big play receivers to complement a quartet of studs. Jalen Hurts may eventually be among the priciest QBs in weeks to come. So we're hammering him while we can. As always, we want to stack him with his top receiver. And Devontae Smith is cheap for another week, too. Get the rest of your FanDuel lineup picks. So before we get into the picks, we should highlight basic rules for FanDuel Daily Fantasy. Everything is pretty standard. The only notable thing being four-point passing TDs and half-point. PPR. So let's get into these picks. FanDuel picks week two. Sunday main slate, $60,000 budget, no more than four players from one team. QB Jalen Hurts, Eagles versus 49ers, $7,800. Hurts showed off his arm and his legs in the Eagles week one thumping of the Falcons. Sledding 
may be a bit tougher against a superior opponent, but the Eagles are at home, and we know the damage running quarterbacks can inflict in fantasy football. Running back Dalvin Cook, Vikings at Cardinals, 9,200. You can't force Christian McCaffrey, $10,000, into the mix this week. So we'll sell on Cook, who is a near lock to see a hefty workload. Vegas opened this contest with an over-under 49.5. So there's sneaky shootout potential to consider either way. Cook is a sure thing to produce, but the more points for the Vikings will equal more points for us. Running back David Montgomery, Bears versus Bengals, $7,300. Montgomery finished with a respectable line on Sunday night and a 20-point loss. The overall outlook is expected to be better for the Bears at home against the Bengals. Volume won't be an issue for Montgomery this season. If he can receive some help from his teammates Sunday, Montgomery should be in a position to claim a touchdown or two. Sleepers, bust, stardom, sit him. Wide receiver, wide receiver Chase Claypool, Steelers versus Raiders, $5,900. Claypool was only third on the Steelers in targets with five, but he took carry 25 yards, demonstrating his versatility and big playability. Week one versus the Bills is always going to be a tough matchup anyway. Hosting the Raiders is an easier challenge on paper, and one Claypool could exploit for some explosive plays. He scored nine touchdowns as a rookie and will find the paint plenty this season. Devontae Smith, Eagles versus 49ers, 5,600. Smith led the Eagles with eight targets and scored in his first NFL touchdown in week one. We're pairing him with his quarterback in a matchup that might have a little more scoring potential than the 45.5 over under initially set by Vegas Sportsbooks. It's not yet clear to what degree Smith may operate as a target hog in Philly, but it's reasonably safe to assume that he'll operate as the clear number one option. Our receiver Jamar Chase at Bears, 5,500, will land some responsibility on the shoulders of one more rookie this week. Like Smith, Chase made an impressive first impression, leading the Bengals in targets, receptions, and yards. There will be weeks when he sees their lead role to T. Higgins, $6,000, but Chase was drafted number five overall for a reason. And for as long as he's the cheaper of the two, we're going to be interested. Tight end, George Kittle, 49ers at Eagles, $6,700. Anytime a healthy Kittle steps on the field, he's a threat to finish at the overall tight end one. With only Darren Waller, $7,000 drawing a heftier price. Kittle is likely to be heavily rostered, but we're willing to share the spoils. He went for 32.6 fan duel points in a 2020 meeting with the Eagles, and we like the chances of another big performance. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. We're starting to look now at the flex players. Running back, Jonathan Taylor. Colts versus Rams, $7,200. Taylor's 14.6 fan due points didn't carry any rosters in week one, but we love to see him reel in six grabs or seven targets. If he's going to continue serving as a significant piece in the passing game, total yardage won't even be a concern. We'll just be waiting on the touchdown, of which he totaled 12 in his rookie season. 
and defense. Denver Broncos or Jaguars, 4,600. Does it feel like the Urban Meyer experiment in Jacksonville is already unraveling? We won't pretend the Broncos shut down a well-oiled offensive machine in the Giants, but the Jags aren't exactly clicking either. We're willing to pay up a bit on defense as we hunt for takeaways and big plays. Jags attempted 51 passes and only converted three of 11 third downs. So those opportunities should be plentiful in week two. So there is some daily fantasy sports news. Hopefully that will help you, those of you who are not in a league, those of you who are playing the daily fantasy version, whether it be draft team or fan duel. Hope that helps you out because trust me, I'm going to study that myself. Well, guess what? I'm getting ready to call tonight. I have enjoyed presenting this podcast to you and I would love to hear your feedback. So, getting ready to pull this train into the station. You may now exit left. Hold on to your tickets because they are reusable. Or did also tell you that they're free? Anyway, this has been a blast. Bring you a variety. This may by far be one of my best podcasts in a long time. So until the next time, take care of yourself and each other. Be blessed. Train is now pulling into the station. Signing out.